they're all upgrades that people typically want for their cars. So when they like that and they have a passion for this kind of business mm-hmm. and they have a good business acumen where they really want to work with customers and their staff and treat people really well, you'll build a good culture and the business becomes a lot easier. Don't chase the money, chase yeah. the brand and the business and the money will come. That is Charles Bunfiglio. He is the founder and the CEO of Tint World. There's one word I use to describe this show, and that is passion. Charles's passion for the automotive world. If you love cars, this show is for you. If you love the automotive business, this show is for you. If you've never even thought about the automotive business, it may be for you because of the energy and the passion Charles has for his franchise business. Now, my name is Joel Smith. I'm the host of the CloseTheDeal.com podcast. This is a special episode of Franchise and Funding Insights. And in this episode, Charles is going to pull back the veil on what it costs to invest in a tent world. And he's also going to pull back the veil on the revenue side as well. Now, let's get started with the show. Charles, I want to welcome you to Franchise and Funding Insights. I see that you're based out of Boca Raton. There's a lot to be grateful for being in a place like that. My first question to you, and this is a question I love to ask people, what are you grateful for that helped you get you where you are today? It's a who or what that helped you get you where you are. I have to start off by saying thank you for inviting me to this podcast. I really appreciate to be here with you. And uh, to uh, answer your question is I'm grateful for being having a great family that actually gave me some good values, taught me how to work with my hands, taught me how to work with people, with respect, and also taught me business skills from my young childhood in Brooklyn. And so that's really the first thing. Without that, I wouldn't have been able to mature and have a desire to build what we're building today. So you got into this business in 1982, is that right? In 1983, I flew down to Florida with the dream of opening up an aftermarket accessory business for okay. trucks. And uh, when I came down, I was only 21 years old. I took a one-way plane ticket with two suitcases, came down to Florida, and I just wanted to figure it out. But I realized quickly that the banks didn't want to loan me money. I was young, and I was a new startup in their eyes. And the uh, landlords didn't want to lease to me. Again, same thing. Looking around, I found franchising. And what I found out about franchising is that they help you get financing. They had special SBA loan programs. And the landlords like to deal with brand names and put them in their buildings because they feel confident they're successful brands that actually they get funded on building properties so they can lease out their properties. So when I learned that, I wound up joining a franchise and opening up my first franchise unit. And that's how it began. And so how did Kent World come into play? How did that, how did it evolve to that? Okay. So Tint World came into play years later after this. Tint World started as a company in 1982, mm-hmm. prior to even coming to Florida. Oh, they started wow. one store and over the years, they, they actually built six locations from one owner okay. that built it. When I came down to Florida, I wanted to build the type of a business that Tint World is with tint and aftermarket accessories and detailing and cost stereos and all this other stuff. But again, I couldn't build that because I was reliant on a franchise and there really was nothing like what Tint World does at that time. And 
I wound up finding a franchise called Meineke Discount Mufflers. Okay. A cousin of mine opened up one in the Northeast in New Jersey. I heard about it. I spoke with them and he was doing well. He was getting ready to open up a second store. And so with that, I called up Meineke and interviewed them. And it wasn't long thereafter, I bought a franchise and opened up my first one. And in that first year, I was dating my wife and told her, once I get my business open, we're going to get married. And so I got my business open, and within that year, we got married and 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 bought a townhouse and started a life journey together. And so, the early years of Tint World, what was that like? So the early years of Tint World, again, not being someone in South Florida that loves cars and customizing yeah. and always wanted that, mm-hmm. I'm in the auto repair business now with mufflers and brakes and such, yeah. Meineke, but I, you know, I love cars. I love being driving down the beach in a convertible and love being in the beautiful weather of Florida. I dreamed of this, but when I went, got my first brand new Corvette after buying, after opening my business, I went over to uh, the tint world to get my car tinted. I thought this is a pretty cool business. And it only had one or two open at the time. And over the years, I brought my cars there. I thought it was a cool business. I thought it could be even more, but again, I stuck to my Meineke shop and soon after I opened up a second one and a third one, eventually I started buying the properties and building my own buildings and leasing them to my franchise. And by two, 2001, I opened up my 10th and last Meineke franchise in South Florida. And that was the biggest one in the chain. I really got close with my franchise own, my franchisor and I got on their committees, their advertising committees, their, their technology committee. I love doing that stuff. So through working with them on these committees, I learned a lot about franchising and what I really love about it and what I would do differently if it was my own franchise company, but it's always a what if. Fast forward in early, uh, about 2005, I told my wife, it was time that was, every few years I opened up a new store, it was time to do that, buy another location, build another store. And I said, I really don't want to do this anymore. So what do you want to do? I said, I want to open up the business that I always dreamed of. I want to open up a car accessory aftermarket business. I said, but one isn't going to do it anymore. I said, if I want this franchise, this business, other people want it too. So what have the first aftermarket accessory franchise? I know franchising, I'm doing repairs and maintenance and that's cool, but I really want to do what I love. And she says, go do it. So with that, I went out and rather than start a first brand new concept to start with, I went back to the, the tip world that I was visiting and I asked for the owner and I wound up connecting with him and taking him out to lunch. And I said, you want to sell, sell your company? And that's how it began. And it wasn't only a couple of years late, a couple of months later that I bought the company and the rights to the branding and the name and I went to town on building the franchise system. And by 2007, one year after I bought the company, I launched franchising with six stores. I, I awarded another three licenses out that brought it to nine. And I began our journey of building this brand. What was the hardest part making that transition? Curious. I never really think of anything as hard. It's just the obstacles. Of how long is it going to take me? Gotcha. I guess the unknown was hard. So I, let, let me put that in perspective. I felt I was confident on running any business that I opened in the automotive space. I've done it over and over again. So build outs, leases, op- buying property and close and open up. Not a problem. Where it was is I knew franchising and operations and marketing I was concerned about the legalities of writing the franchise agreements. I was concerned about 
accounting of having to be accountable for all those stores and collecting royalties and managing the advertising. I was a little concerned that was outside my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, but I found that if I started directing that and automating these processes by being a technology guy and working with Meineke on their technology, I saw that for them to move that big ship and change it as technology grew was very difficult and time consuming. But to start up a brand new with all the latest technology in 2006, I automated the royalty payments, the marketing fund payments on a weekly basis. I built the marketing concept to market for all the stores. And as far as legalities, I figured if you're just writing documents and getting approved by the legal system and running them through, that's not the handicap or the concern was, is that having legal issues, having problems, but I'm like, I'm not that guy. I yeah. want to help people get in business. I want to be friends with them. I want to support them. I want to grow them. I'm not the guy that has a chip on my shoulder that wants to get even with someone. If it's not good for them, I'm helping them sell their business. If it's great for them, I'll help them up more. That's mm -hmm. who I am. And that's why we have no legal conflict with any of our franchisees. Mm -hmm. Now, they're like family. You got some that you get along with, some you fight with, but you love them. And that's the way we build our brand. That's a good mm -hmm. culture. So the legalities wasn't nearly what I, the concern at what I thought it was. And the accounting wound up to be relatively automated. I literally have. Two people that run our whole accounting department moving nearly $100 million of monies of royalties and advertising fees to all our companies. Wow. So I wound up to automate them. I thought ahead and I said, what do I not want? Yeah. And what do I have to do to make that streamline? Then I just, when you're young and you're small brands, if you put those things into place first, uh, you can really get it done before it gets too big and you got to keep changing them a big bloated system. Let's turn to the business model. Let's talk about the business model with somebody listening to this saying, okay, maybe. They're interested in you. They're interested in your brand. Um, what does the model look like for a franchise coming in? Franchise oh, well, coming in. Starts with, with me coming in first. It, I love fun brands. Mm -hmm. I love exciting brands. Mm -hmm. I love profitable brands. It's very forgiving for a new franchise owner or any business owner when it's high profit sales and it's fun and people like it. Because when people come in, they like the stuff you're buying. They want the stuff you're buying. When, when you're selling it to them, you could, it can be very easy to make mistakes and undercharge. But when you got good profit in your products and services, it's even easy to overcome that and learn it and really go. So that's the first thing, setting up the what did I want and why did I want it. Mm -hmm. But from a franchisee's perspective, when they come in, I believe that they like it. It's a sexy business. Mm -hmm. It's cars. So if you like cars and you like custom accessories and they're interesting and just even watching someone put window tint on a car is amazing as well as any other service custom wheels and car electronics and they're all upgrades that people typically want for their cars so when they like that and they have a passion for this kind of business mm -hmm. and they have a good business acumen where they really want to work with customers and their staff and treat people really well you'll build a good culture and the business becomes a lot easier don't chase the money chase yeah. the brand and the business and the money will come. Sure. What is the, what does a typical shop look like? So we'll start off by what the investment level is. I guess okay. that would be a good place because okay. it's not for everyone, okay. both in their abilities and both in the desires. So what to start a business like this, it ranges between 250 to $400,000. It 
and average being about $380,000 all in. And so with that, someone would need a liquid capital of about $150,000. That's their injection for their license fee and some other costs. And then they were able to get them usually SBA loans or 401k rollover loans or even conventional loans, depending on their credit and their ability for a balance of about $250,000. When you pair that together, you're in about a $400,000 injection of your own money and loan. And with those loans, they're very favorable favorable for franchising. Mm-hmm. So that's about the cost to get in. $150,000 of liquid capital and about $250,000 in a loan, more or less. That'll get your average store open and operating. And then when the average store opens, typically the first annual year of revenue usually ranges between six hundred and $700,000. Could be a little more or less depending on the individual and the location where it's opening, but that's typically what they do. And all this is disclosed in the item 19 in our franchise disclosure document. Mm-hmm. We have a pretty complete disclosure document where it really tells the story about who we are, what we do, and how it's done. So that people know, I want them to really know what they're getting into and what they're buying so they can really either know it's good for them or not, both on the financial aspect and the lifestyle of it. But in the item 19 specifically, we are very well detailed where we show average stores. I saw all the stores from all the, all over and the years that they're in. So the average store that does 200,000 or, I'm sorry, the average store that's two or more years in business typically average at about Mm $900,000. That's the average store. The top 50% of stores that are two or more years average about $1.2 million. The exact number is in the FD and you can see them all. With that, the average store at $900,000 will yield a net EBITDA profit to owner of about $256,000 average across the board. That is less any loans or, you know, loans or expenses that they have outside of the business operation. And the same thing with the uh, top 50%. They're averaging just about $405,000 in net EBITDA profit, less any loans that they may have. Because some people go all in on on just liquid and some people take a loan. So we just deal with it as if everybody has a loan paid off or doesn't have a loan. So those are really good numbers. I've looked at a lot of FTDs and whether you're in the food business or other service businesses, you typically don't see that kind of return. You're looking at 30% net to owner profits from gross sales. And it's typically unheard of in the franchises industry. It's also typical, typically not average when someone will actually break even in three to six months in a franchise, as well as be profitable within a year and actually get to the levels of sale and return on investment within two to three years from your full investment. So these right. are really good characteristics of our brand profitability, but it's a lot. It's about the lifestyle and who, you know, what you want to do and how you want to build. Support. I like to put this in a bucket of support and community because you already alluded to it, talking about the people that come franchisees in your system well, like family. Some you love, some you work with a little more. <laughs> but coming into the system, you had the structure, the infrastructure, the processes, and the systems. Talk about how you get somebody going and the support and the community that's involved. Because the car community, my cousin is a car fanatic and He'll drive wherever he has to go to get the parts that he needs. We know that community is solid. 
and people passionate like you, you got into this because you love cars. Talk about that and the training leading up and the community. You want to know a little bit about it. It's nobody selling you nothing. It's just a, it's a process because how do you learn about a business inside of a conversation? Mm-hmm. Typically don't. And also the Federal Trade Commission has requirements of franchisors that offer a brand of what they have to do. So we have to provide a disclosure document that meets all state regulations, which we do. And you have to disclose them and give them the opportunity to read it and understand it with you so they know the business model and they can absorb it. Typically, that's a 10-day work through that you work with them, explain it. They can ask questions. They can take it to their legal team. They're typically not something you're going to be able to change or say, I like this, but I don't want that. It's a regulated document. It's just really to disclose them how Mm -hmm. the business operates so they can make an informed decision of if it's right for them. Mm -hmm. With that, we usually have a six-week program where for the first, it's four to six weeks, depending on how fast they want to go, where they'll speak with one of our consultants on a weekly basis. And that'll include weekly meetings with various different people in our company, explaining to them how things work, how does the marketing work, how how does the store opening work, who helps them develop the store. So getting that knowledge of understanding that is typically, they get all their questions answers for the most part within a four to six week. Mm-hmm. From that point, we are we, we dial in on making sure they able and capable to be able to get approved for whatever financing they may need, as well as the area, whether it's one store or multi-store units that they're interested in, are those available for them in that area where they're looking? Once we get past all of that and they feel comfortable with this is something I think I really want to do, but I'd really like to know a little bit more, that's when we offer them to come down to what's called the discovery day. Mm-hmm. Discovery Day is really where, no matter where they are in any state or country, they're flying in to South Florida, where our corporate office is, and they're actually going to see a couple of live stores that are that we have operating in the area. They'll look at a few different ones, some older ones, some newer ones, and they'll get a feel for it. And the last stop is they come to our corporate headquarters in Boca Raton, and they'll meet our, our whole team. They'll go through from every department, from the IT department, the accounting department, franchise a training department or marketing department, everything they learn, who they are. We give them a big hello, let them know who we are, what we do for them. From that point, once they get to know everybody, we'll go into the conference room and they'll meet one-on-one with several leaders in our team. They'll meet with our marketing director, our COO, tell them how, what we do for them when we open up for marketing, how we find them locations, how we work with the real estate, how we work with the build out. And when they get all their questions answered and they typically don't have much left, they usually want to see me. I'm the founder. They want to know my vision of the brand and the future. And maybe there's some other questions that want to double ask me or maybe a new question they want to ask me. So I'll usually spend anywhere from an hour to two hours with them, just getting to know them and having them get to know me. Um, But usually by the end of that, I would say almost all the time, they're ready to move forward and buy a franchise and go forward. And that usually takes a couple of days to get that all finalized and signed. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they're done, we have a welcoming call where we bring them on and they work directly with our onboarding director of operations and they work with a real estate person on a call and our COO, Jeff, who basically works with those people. What they're doing is giving them the support and laying out what the next steps are over the coming weeks and months while they build their franchise location. And they've got a community they're plugging into as well. Oh, yeah. Hello, oh, fellow. Oh, we're already, we're like a big family. So not only do they have us at the corporate, 
They also have all our franchisees that will be introduced to them, whether it's in their area or somebody that they have relations with based on what they're doing. So we try to get them involved. But okay. really that process of building out the store and and getting the store to opening is our onboarding process. Gotcha. That could take anywhere from three months to nine months, depending on how long it takes to get the pro- find the location that, that they desire, as well as basically build out anything that they have. It might be an easy build out, 30, 60 days. It might be something more extravagant. But we know all that when we're picking a location with them so they can get something that's going to work for them. And then once we get past that and the, and the location is secured and the bill that is done, usually within uh, two months prior to them actually getting ready to open up their store, we have them come down to training, fr- franchise training. That is going to be a three-week process. There'll be two weeks in actual classroom setting. Mm-hmm. We'll teach them all, everything from beginning to end of all business skills and knowledge and know-how, meet our vendors. Uh, meet our suppliers. We have hands-on training. We have business training. Um, and then on the last week, the third week, we'll actually place them in an actual working tip world so they can start using and honing on their skills with some other a manager and a support person working with them, guiding them. So when they do open up their own stores, they're not green to it. They're not starting sure. fresh. They actually have some skill set that they can take and open up and know what it feels like running a store. And then once they ready for the store to be open after training. We send the team down there to help them get everything working right and looking right and training them and onboarding any employees that they may have. And then we have a soft launch opening. So where we'll start turning on their marketing, they'll start working with some with customers and and then starting to get to know their staff because they're new, they're building their team. The first hires may not always be the last hires, but we might get some good gems that come in and they're just keepers. And so once that happens, usually not long thereafter, we will have a, a grand opening event for them. Usually six to eight weeks after, once they're settled in, we plan a big grand opening because we want to let the whole community know who we are, what we do, and how we operate. And that's really how we kick off their start of their business model. And the marketing, obviously you do paid marketing and so forth like that, but just the grassroots social media marketing, word of mouth of what you all do makes it a you used the word fun in the beginning. It is. I've followed your post and just some of the openings that you all do. Yeah, it's made for social media. We, it's, again, it's a really fun and sexy, attractive business yeah. for anybody. It doesn't, it, and it's not for any group. It's right. for anyone from that can drive, that gets their first car. Yep. Till they're 60, 70, 80 years old, they can still get something done. Absolutely. Whether you want to get the glaring sun out of your eyes or off your skin and eyes, it'll be there. Whether you want to get some lighting at nighttime, you can't see at night in the street lights. You want to get some fancy lighting. That pro- Whatever it is that you want for aftermarket for your vehicle. Now, in addition to cars, we also have another unique service. We're very unique in this way where we offer both brick and mortar service for vehicles. But our window tinting, we also do for homes and offices. Oh, nice. So we have mobile vehicles that go out and do homes for window tinting and and, uh, all kinds of films and decorative films that they can use for their homes or offices. And we also do marine work. So if you have a smaller boat, they can bring it in. We can do graphics, vehicle graphics on it or or ceramic coating to keep the boat looking good. Audio inside the boats is really nice and lighting. So we do a lot of these books. And sometimes we actually travel out to the marinas and do the bigger yachts. And we do really cool things on them. 
Um, so we have a lot of channels. There's automotive, residential, commercial, marine opportunities right. within our brand, all starting from the auto center and branching out. And we're actually on a big push to do more residential, commercial, window film. It's a big opening, a big opportunity for us to grow in that space. There's no question. Ideal candidate. You met, you touched on it a little bit, but what do you see as your ideal candidate? Um, I think first with any candidate, somebody who really has a good leadership skills. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a little bit changed in my opinion over the years. When I started out, I just somebody that was passionate about the brand, that they wanted to work in this business. I was literally advertising to my 21-year-old self, thinking mm -hmm. that's what I want. That I'm passionate. I love it. I want to work with my ends. I want to work with people. And that was really partially true. But when I really now look at the hundreds of, well, over a hundred stores that we have, and I see who's successful, it's the leaders that are able to hire and, ret and, and retain great staff. And how do they do that? It's not just with pay. It's with pay, culture, and family and community. If you work with them and they feel that you care about them, which we do, and you work with them and you support them and they can grow within our stores, um, that's going to make people want to work for you. Now, we are in a niche market. It's a really unique industry. There's really no other franchise of anything close to our size that does what we do. So with that, we are the leader. If you're in an automotive aftermarket accessory business or a, a technician of any kind that's doing that, they typically yield to want to work with us because we offer the full benefits. We offer a full program. And again, we build a culture of a very wide variety of services that we do for the aftermarket that they love. Being a, a good leader is going to allow you to be a good operator. And actually, eventually, though, most of those leaders go on to open up multiple locations and build a whole little mini market for themselves. I love it. And just to put a button on this, Entrepreneur Magazine just ranked you all as the number one category for automotive, the entire automotive industry, which is for franchising. That's incredible. And I'm going to list on our website. All the other accolades, because it's a laundry list. We'd be here another 10 minutes going through this. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. But I want to thank you for your time. For, for those listening, if you're interested in this concept with Tint World, reach out to me. You can find me at yulesmithfranchiseandfunding.com. Or you can just go to franchiseandfunding.com and you'll see the contact information. Charles, I want to thank you. This has been, I love your passion. Clearly, you, you're hugely successful in this, and I, I we're going to have to do this again at some point. This has been fun. I appreciate happy it. happy to do it. I really, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank it. You. And that is a wrap with Charles Bonfiglio. All right. If you have any interest in investing into a Tint World franchise, reach out to me at Yule Smith, E-W-E-L-L -L Smith, at franchiseandfunding.com. Yule Smith at franchiseandfunding.com or just visit franchiseandfunding.com and you'll have a contact us button, other ways to reach me on the site as well. Now, I shared about his passion. There's no doubt he has that passion. He loves what he does and he makes every single day a great day. That's intentional, folks. And I'm challenging you to do the same. Make it a great day. Take care. Bye.